Here we go. Let's read it. Mark 8, uh, 22. It says, uh, they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. And when he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. And once more, Jesus put his hand on the man's eyes, and then his eyes were open. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Then Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go to the village. Uh, last week, if you were here, we ended, if you look back one verse to verse 21, we ended with this question. Jesus said to them, do you still not understand? Uh, now, if you've been with us, this is like message 28 in the Gospel of Mark, and we've been going slowly, and we've hit like the midpoint, and if you've been tracking, you realize that up until now, no one really gets fully who Jesus is. That's a fact. And so even though Mark is telling us back from the beginning, if you look back at Mark 1, verse 1, we'll throw it on the screen, uh, Mark tells us is the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Mark is writing to people after the life of Jesus to let them know who he is. So first verse, first line, here who, here's who Jesus is. He is the Messiah. He's the Son of God. And then Mark begins to lay out what that looks like. Uh, what did Jesus do? What did Jesus not do? What did Jesus teach? So that you'll just see little by little, it would unfold. You begin to, you're blind, so to speak, to who Jesus is, and then the lights come on and you see who Jesus is. And we've hit the middle now, and still nobody understands. But over this passage that we're going to read tonight, it's like the, the midpoint, it's like the fulcrum on which the whole book is laid out. Uh, Jesus is Messiah, or another word that would be more normal to us, he's the king. Uh, he is the promised one. He is the rescuer. He is the deliverer. He's the champion. He's a real king. And Mark splits into two halves. Uh, we'll throw up a graphic. We threw up uh, first message. It's, it's Mark 1 to 8. The king is here and his name is Jesus. So we've seen that. No, nobody gets it yet. But Jesus has just said, do you not understand? But from here on out, Mark is going to show us how Jesus is redefining what a king is really like. So Jesus has followers, but they only know a bit. And now as Jesus is moving his way closer and closer to the cross, we're going to see that he is a king, but it's not like anyone was expecting. Jesus is, is shaking things up. And now how do I know that? Keep reading. Uh, verse 27. So Jesus heals someone who's blind. Then verse 27. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi, and, the way, and on the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others say one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah, or some of your translations say, you're the Christ. And Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Now, this is unique. The, the little story that we just read, that encounter of Jesus healing the man, spitting on his eyes. Do you see anything? No. People look like trees, and then he touches them again. It's the only place you see it in the Gospels. And for some reason, Mark puts that story right before 
this huge, mind-blowing understanding that Peter has about him. And what I just want to see tonight is that they're totally connected. As we look at this, these are two like seemingly makes no sense why they're together stories, but Mark is saying something. He's really artistic in the way he lays out the Jesus story, and notice how they both fit together. Just look back at verse um, 22. They came to Bethsaida. Some people brought a blind man, begged Jesus to touch him. And what does he do? Verse 23, he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. So the blind man leaves the village so that Jesus can heal his sight. What does he do with his disciples? He takes them out of Galilee, up way north, 25 miles out in, in a far non-Jewish area to Caesarea Philippi. So the, the blind man is brought out of the village so that Jesus can make him see. The disciples are brought out of their native land. They're brought out of Israel. They're brought out of Galilee. And they're brought to a Roman area so that Jesus can open their eyes. So they're both let out of the village. Um, Jesus spits on the man's eyes. And at first, what does he see? He sees people. Look at verse 24. They're like trees walking around. They don't, they don't re- he doesn't really see yet. And the same thing with the disciples. Up to this point, the disciples understand Jesus kind of like this, like trees walking around. They don't know exactly who he is. They do know he's sent from God. They do know he's a miracle worker. They do know he's an amazing teacher, but they don't have it all together. So the blind man, bit by bit in phases, he can see, and the disciples bit by bit in phases, they can see. So the blind man doesn't get it all in one shot and neither do the disciples. And so Jesus, like he pulls this man out of his village to heal him. And then he says, don't go back into the village. We don't know exactly why, but in a real sense, Jesus does the same thing with the disciples. Peter has the revelation, you're the Messiah, you're the Christ, you're the King. And what does Jesus tell him to do? Don't tell anyone. Don't go back to Israel and tell anybody about what you understand. So both stories are connecting the same reality. Uh, We want to highlight verse uh, 29 because it's the center of the understanding that the disciples have about Jesus. And really, it's the center question for your life tonight, no matter where you come from, your religious background, your amount of time in church, your understanding of the Bible. This is the center of the book. This is the central question that the disciples need to answer. And this is the key. Like the blind man, Jesus touches him the second time and suddenly his life is transformed. He's absolutely changed. In the same way, we're supposed to get it. Mark puts him back to back so that if this question's answered well in your soul, if you could go home tonight and answer this with total confidence, it will be as amazing as a blind person having their sight restored. Verse 29, what about you? Uh, The people were wondering who Jesus was. He says, who do you say that I am? Uh, He wanted to know. Everyone's got their opinion about Jesus, just like you have your opinion. Who do people think I am, says Jesus? And we all have our little thing. What's the word? I, I had it and it just escaped me. You know, there's a, there's a thought that most of us have almost a twin somewhere else around the world that doesn't live by you. Did anyone know the name of that person? I'm sorry? Doppelganger, right. There's just someone who's like, who, who, like, oh, that looks like him. That's not Tom Hanks or whoever. That's, that's someone else. Sometimes people don't know exactly 
who you are. I, I get that sometimes. I've been called Billy Crystal before. I think it's because he's a, people confuse. I'm not a doppelganger. He's like 20 years older than me. But, you know, people get confused. They see me, you know, try to be a comedian, receding hairline, the whole thing. People do not mix me up for like the ultimate fighters. But I have been called, I have been called The Rock, you know, Dwayne Johnson. It's the muscles, I know. I'm ripped, right? But no, it's, I can do the eyebrow, the eyebrow that goes really up. And again, receding hairline, me and Dwayne, we go way back. But um, people get confused. They don't, they don't know. And in the same way, there is confusion around Jesus. But there wasn't total confusion. Look at who uh, they respond as to who Jesus is. Before he asked the question, who do you say I am? Look back in verse 27 uh, or verse 28. They replied, some say John the Baptist. Uh, some, some say that you're this guy who died. John the Baptist at this point had, had been murdered, but he was a prophet. And so some think that he's like this powerful prophet uh, born again. Others say Elijah. Elijah was a prophet, spoke for God. So they, they admitted that he was someone who speaks for God because John the Baptist did. And then Elijah was the prophet who never died, who went into the very presence of God. And throughout the Old Testament, there's these hints on the great day of God's coming, the great day of the Lord, that what will usher in, what will bring it in, will be a return of Elijah, the, the, the spokesman for God who never died, who God just took him up, that when God comes and, and judges the world, he's going to come with Elijah first. So some are saying, wow, like you're, you're Elijah. Others say you're one of the prophets. And there hadn't been a prophet in Israel for 400 years. Here's my point. People may confuse me for Billy Crystal or someone else. They may confuse you for someone else. No one's confusing Jesus for someone that's ordinary. The opinion about Jesus is he is utterly amazing. But they didn't get full clarity. So everyone has this hint. You speak for God. But finally, Peter gets it in verse 29. Uh, Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Um, he speaks for the whole group. Did Peter get it alone? Matthew tells us uh, that Jesus says in this moment, this wasn't told to you by any human being, but by my Father in heaven. This was revealed to you. Somehow, at the right time, Peter got a grip of who Jesus really is. And that's really our prayer for you tonight, that you will know who Jesus is, not in abstract form like good moral teacher or a miracle wonder worker or founder of a new world religion, but that you will know Jesus is for who he really is. And, and this is the center. He is, he's a king. He's the Messiah. Now, a couple of things worth noting before we look at the implications of Jesus being a king. Uh, these, these are just like little tidbits that might be helpful. Number one, uh, Jesus doesn't deny Peter's claim. A few things that, to think about. So this would be a great time. If Jesus wasn't the Messiah, if he wasn't the promised messenger, now would have been a great time to say it. But Jesus doesn't. He's like, yeah, yes, you, you've got it. This is good. Second thing, uh, Jesus tells him not to talk about it. Stop tweeting. Don't Instagram. Don't, don't let anyone know. This is weird. Why would Jesus tell the blind man, don't go back to your village and tell anyone? Why would he tell his disciples, don't say a word? Well, we've talked about it a bunch. It's because Jesus is the Messiah, he's the king, but everyone had their idea about what the king was coming to do. Remember, the Jews expected 
that Messiah was more of a political leader than a religious leader. They expected the Messiah was going to come and take away the Roman government and let the people of God, Israel, rule their land again. They expected the non-Jews to be crushed, the Jews to be given the rightful places, the people of God. And that is not what Jesus comes to do. So everyone had their view of what a king looks like, just like, think about it for us. Everyone has their idea about what it means to follow Jesus. Would you agree? Everyone has their opinion about what it means to be right with God. Everyone has their opinion about what it means to become spiritually alive. Not all of those reasons are right. And so Jesus knows most of the people around him, the Jews don't get it, the non-Jews don't get it, they don't understand, so keep quiet for now because Jesus, in the next few chapters, is going to tell them what it means to live under Jesus' kingship So before they announce it to the world, and they will in a few years, but before they announce it, they need to get it. Just like tonight, we just pray that in a a more intimate, in a more deep way in your own soul, that you'll get it. You get a better grip on who Jesus is. The third thing is Jesus actually shifts the picture. Peter says, you're Messiah, right? Uh, And that's great. But then Jesus is going to shift the picture from Messiah to the Son of Man. It may not make much sense to you, but it'll actually be helpful. Uh, Look at verse 30. So you're the Messiah, and then Jesus warns them not to tell anyone about him. And then Jesus shifts the picture. He began to teach them, so Jesus starts a new teaching here, that, and then he doesn't talk about the Messiah, that the Son of Man, mine has caps on S and the M, M, the Son of Man, so someone specific, must, suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and after three days rise again. Verse 32, he spoke plainly about this. So up until this point, Jesus has been talking in parables, mysteries. He's been throwing these little sayings and, and nobody really gets it. The religious leaders don't get it. The disciples don't get it. But now it's, everything's shifted. Okay, Peter, you got it. I am Messiah. Now let me define what this great leader is going to do. And it's unlike anything they were expect, expecting. Now, son of man, it could, could simply mean a person, a man, a fellow. Like It was an ordinary phrase. But we think here that Jesus is alluding to someone they would have been clued in on. When they were expecting God to send a deliverer, God to send someone to come and rescue, Daniel, uh, in his book, uh, has a, a few prophecies about someone who is to come. So Jesus says, the Son of Man must suffer many things. It could be a reference to Daniel 7. I'll throw it up on the screen for you. Daniel 7, verse 13 and 14 Write it down so you can look at it in your own Bible later. It says, Daniel uh, speaking, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. Now, what does this person do? Coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So uh, they're talking about Jesus, your your Messiah. 
all right, messenger, one who's coming like a king. And then he throws this little thought out there. Yeah, they're expecting from the clouds uh, someone like the Son of Man to come, and he's going to have dominion, authority. These are all the expectations of some like glorious leader. But ironically, if you read Daniel 7, and then you look at what Jesus says, it's no wonder that they're confused. So someone with authority, someone who's receiving worship, a kingdom that will never end, yes, Jesus is going to be like that son of man. Now we think son of man like, like son of a guy, but, but actually the son of man is the closest thing to, to calling someone like divine that you can. So son of man in the Bible is more like, when we think son of God, you think like holy. Well, it's flip-flop. In the text, son of man, if they were reading that and they were thinking that, they're thinking, oh, that's like a divine, holy, uh, someone who's sent from God. So Jesus is going to be that, but look at how he describes it. Let's just read it again. Verse 31, this son of man, this great ruler, must suffer many things. It's, it's not in the text there. And be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. So everyone of religious influence, Jesus is saying, every spiritual leader is going to reject this son of man. It, this, is, this is confusing to them, but Jesus is teaching them. He's connecting dots in ways that they haven't figured out yet because Jesus is from God, because Jesus is God come to earth. He could pull the whole picture together. They see life like you never do one of those thousand piece puzzles and you've got like four or 500 ready and you're like, okay, I can kind of see the outline, but it doesn't all take shape. The pieces are all there, but until they're all put together, you don't see the full image. In this way, Jesus sees all things. And so he's like, yes. When you start connecting the dots, when you start connecting Isaiah, when you start connecting Daniel, which they knew, but they didn't see how they all fit together, Jesus is saying there's going to be a rejection. He must be killed. And after three days rise again, no one, you just need to know this. We just read this like, of course, because Jesus goes to the cross in three days. No one at this time was expecting, no one, no one, no one was expecting that the great leader, the Son of Man, the Messiah, whatever title you use, would come and be rejected by religious leaders and be destroyed, be killed. No one. And so what Jesus is saying and suggesting is completely radical. Verse 32, he speaks plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. And that makes total sense. I read this and I immediately look down on Peter and say, how could you? It's because from what he knew, from as much as his eyes has been opened. Think back to the blind man story. Jesus touched him, and what? I see, man, they look like trees. I see a bit, but I don't see fully clearly. Let's not look down on Peter right now, because at this point, he doesn't get it all. But what happens when you're half right? What happens when you have an opinion about Jesus that isn't in line, or I have an opinion about Jesus that is not in line with what the Scriptures teach, what is the heart of God? What happens when we get it half right, for those of you positive people, or half wrong for you pessimists? Like, you know, this, you know the glass is definitely half full in my opinion. But what happens? This is what happens when we get it half right, half wrong. He takes Jesus aside to rebuke him. Verse 33, Jesus turned, looked at his disciples, and he rebuked Peter. 
So Peter's rebuking Jesus, and Jesus is like, I'm going to take you out. Um, Get behind me, in the glorious phrase, get behind me, Satan, he says, Um, which is probably not what you're looking for. A moment ago, Peter has the revelation. Peter gets insight from God that this is the Messiah. He's not just a miracle worker. He's not just a teacher. He's the second one. He's the Messiah. But when you only understand half of it, it's completely dangerous because Jesus' idea of Messiahship and Peter's are totally in opposition. And Peter's just saying, no way are you going to die and suffer and the religious leaders kill you. I will not let that happen. And, and Jesus says to Peter, what you're propagating, your opinion, your ideology, its source is from Satan. He's not calling Peter Satan, but he is saying that your view, your road, your ideology, its source is not from God. It's satanic. And that is like, that's the nuance. You know, tonight you can, you can worship and get a clearer view of who God is and get a more beautiful picture of who Jesus is. And, and that's great. And then tomorrow, think about what you're supposed to do on your job or in relationship or as a parent or whatever. And your worldview, your mindset could be out of sync with the heart of God. You could get it right today and then tomorrow do something that's totally contrary to what God would have you to do. If that happens, which it happens to all of us, duh, none of us gets it right all the time. We all are in process. We're all like the blind man whose eyes are slowly becoming more clear and more open and more visible. But when you make a mistake like Peter does, Jesus steps in and says, no, you got it wrong. Get behind me, Satan. He says, you don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Uh, I love the New Living Translation. I'll throw it up on the screen for you. You are seeing things from a merely human point of view, not from God's. And this happens to all of us. Sometimes we get it right and we say, yeah, Jesus, this is who you are. I'm going to follow you. Other times we just see life from a human point of view. And we say, no, um, I'm not going to go that way. That's not what God wants for me. I've got a better plan. And when we do it that way, the good news is Jesus confronts Peter and he speaks the truth to a situation. Peter, you don't, you don't have in mind the things of God. Um, but, but I'm going to lay out for you the heart of God and I'm going to lay out for you what's about to happen in your life, Peter. And I pray what will happen in all of our lives as we continue to pursue Jesus. Jesus tells us exactly the way of God for everyone who wants to follow him, verse 34. So the setting of the blind man's story is the setup for exactly what's happening. The eyes of the disciples are being opened. And when their eyes are opened, this is what they see. Verse 34, he called the crowd to him along with his disciples. So he brings a larger group of people and he lays it out. And he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Verse 36, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their own soul? So Jesus defines what the Messiah is going to look like. He predicted they're going uh, to arrest him. They're going to reject him. He's going to be killed. He's going to rise again on the third day. 
And now he says, that's not just the pattern for me, says Jesus. That is the pattern for what it means for anyone to follow after me. The picture he gives them is totally unlike what they were expecting. Just like, you know, when if you've been following Jesus, there was a moment of clarity. Maybe it happened slowly. Maybe it happened in a moment where all the pieces came together like, oh, this is what it means to follow Jesus. The visual that Jesus gives us is a cross. Look at what he says, 34. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Now, because we've got cross as jewelry and cross as like this big icon over uh, 2,000 years, we forget that people carrying a cross were going to execution. No one thought of the cross as a positive symbol at all. Uh, and Jesus isn't implying that the cross is a symbolic burden. Like, like, what does it mean to follow Jesus? You mean to deny yourself and life's going to be hard at times. Like, it's going to be a burden, like the weight of wooden cross. And life will be tough, but don't worry, I'm going to be with you. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is more forceful than that. If you really want to follow after me, what I'm inviting to you is to my life, all of it. And, and Jesus' life starts in obscurity and no one knows who he is and he, and he grows and at the right time he begins teaching and he's misunderstood and all that. But Jesus comes to bear the weight of sin on a cross. He is going to choose to stand in judgment for the things that we've done and no one was thinking that God's messenger, God's Messiah, was going to, as a matter of fact, for the Jews, to hang on a tree to be crucified was to be a symbol that God was against you. In Roman culture, uh, if you were a citizen, you couldn't be crucified. This was only for the poor and for the foreigner and for the political slave. This was not for the Roman citizen. So there's no positive sign. But Jesus says, if you want to come after me and really be my follower, it's going gonna, it's gonna to mean a death, a real death to the old way of life and then a new life to come. So you must deny yourself, take up the cross, there's got to be a real death, and then follow after me. And, and that's a mystery and that's a surprise to them. They're not expecting that. It's no wonder that they're confused after this. And that's why Mark, for the rest of his gospel, is going to lay out the implications of what we're reading tonight of what it means to take up the cross and follow him and really be his follower. So that's a surprise. The second surprise in this is that Jesus is saying that the way of death, the way of carrying the cross is going to lead to life that's truly life. Verse 36. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? You want to know what it is to really live? Uh, Jesus says it begins with death. Now, Jesus is not saying that his followers, us, are going to have to now pay for their sins. Like Jesus went to the cross and paid for the penalty of the things that I've done. Now all of us must pay for the things we've done. That's not what he's saying. Jesus stood on the cross for us once for all. But he is saying the way to life is to follow after the pattern of Jesus. And Jesus lays down human agenda. He is a man a real man, and the deepest instinct that you have is to survive. You will do anything to continue to live. 
won't you? If you're put in a pickle, if you're thrown out in the middle of the woods and you have little to survive on, you will scrape, you will eat things you never thought of eating, you will attempt things you never thought of attempting because it's something within, there's this instinct within us to live and survive. Jesus takes that human instinct and he puts it away, he denies that and says, no, I'm gonna willingly take on the agenda of my father and the agenda of my father is for you and I because God loves us to be rescued. And out of love, Jesus chooses to go the way of death for our good, not just to die a martyr, but to die in our place for our rescue. And so Jesus, being a human, has an agenda, but he puts God's agenda above his own. He aligns himself with the very heart of his Father, and he shows us the way of sacrifice. And so what Jesus is implying in clear words, you really want to have life? Not, not, not the occasional Christian experience, but the life that's truly life. It is when you and I follow in the footsteps of Jesus and we align our agenda with God's agenda and say, God, I want to do what you want me to do. I want to live the way you want me to live. If you really want to follow me, says Jesus, it is going to lead to a denial of the selfish instinct and a crucifixion, a burden uh, taken on so that you can live the life that God intended. And while some of us look at that and say, well, that sounds like a drag, Jesus is saying is what's your alternative? You can try every other mode of satisfaction and self-help and, and self-actualization. You could try every pleasure. You could try everything else, human relationships, stuff, jobs, all the things that we chase after. And those of you who started following Jesus later in life can probably give the details in ways that I can't because I started following as a kid, is that those roads lead to an empty dead end, don't they? The things we think are going to satisfy, the people we think are going to fulfill us, they don't. But when we go in the way that God intended from the beginning, we find real life. I love this quote and just reading about this passage as a pastor in New York City named Tim Keller. And I think he puts it, because he lives in New York, he puts it in blunt terms. Uh, he says, if your agenda is the end, then Jesus is just the means. You're using him. That's like spoken like a New Yorker, you know. If, if, if the goal is to tack on Jesus to your already decent human experience so that you can feel better, you're missing the point. But if Jesus is a king, which is what Peter gets the revelation of, you cannot make him a means to your end. You can't come to a king negotiating. God, if you do this, I'll do that. And if you provide this, then I'll provide that. You lay your sword at the king's feet and say, command me. This is the way to life. You want to know the life that is truly life? It's when we recognize that Jesus is a king and he's calling us to follow him with everything. You see, you have a choice, your agenda or, my, uh, or God's agenda, and following Jesus involves somewhere in the mix of it all. It's different for all of us. For some, we get that up front. For, for others, it takes a while to discover that. But at some point, following Jesus is about laying down my agenda and picking up Jesus' agenda for my life and for the world. And this is, it's in light of that that what makes his next statement make sense. Verse 37, what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me 
and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory, Father's glory with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I tell you, some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God has come with power. Now what in the world does that mean? Some, some aren't going to taste death before they see the kingdom of God has come in power. The kingdom of God, the coming of Jesus, began in weakness. Jesus is born in an obscure little town. And he's born in a little manger. And he's brought up in a small village. And it starts with weakness. Now he's saying, if, if those of you who deny me and those of you who are, who are ashamed of me and recognize that, because for everyone, the thought of Jesus dying was a symbol and proof that he wasn't sent from God. And Jesus is saying, you want to understand the kingdom? What seems weak right now is really strength. And what seems like it makes no sense right now, my death, is going to be actually the means for you to experience life. So what does life in Jesus look like? How does this hit us? For us, it starts in weakness. Jesus is saying, it's, it starts in weakness for him, and it starts in weakness for us. We have to give up certain things to follow Jesus. Now, that's not saying God doesn't love you, and if you don't let go of A, B, C, D, E, F, G, then Jesus isn't going to forgive you. It doesn't happen that way. When you put your trust in Jesus Christ, when you say, Jesus, I want to follow you, when you step out in faith and receive this gift of life, he comes in and gives you life. But the first thing that he wants to do and those who he gives life to is to reorient your entire being to the mission and life of Jesus. And so you can't just say, oh, I received God's gift and I, I, I was saved when I was 12 years old and be unconcerned about your life right now. Someone said, well, I'm, I, I, I prayed the prayer. I did that. I, I started whenever ago but are unconcerned about their following Jesus now. And Jesus is saying, that makes no sense. What starts in weakness leads to life. It starts with a denial. And for some, surrender looks like a religious crutch and an escapism. But those of us who said, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus, realize that what starts small and now and seems like death grows and leads to life. And Jesus says it. Some of you, you're not even going to be gone. Verse 20 of you, uh, 28. I'm sorry, 38. If any of you is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes with his Father's glory, with the holy angels. I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they've seen the kingdom of God come. Uh, what is he alluding to? I think he's alluding to the fact that within a year, 18 months or so, they're going to see Jesus crucified, but then they're going to see Jesus risen again. What starts with death, and it seems like it makes no sense, really leads to life. It starts with a denial. To follow the road of Jesus, you want to experience life to the full, it starts with letting Jesus expose the things that are unlike him. And it's, it's not attractive and it's not exciting. But when you let Jesus expose those things and let him deal with them by the power of his Holy Spirit, it leads to real life. It leads to resurrection. It leads to change. It leads to transformation. And Jesus is hinting what is happening to him. Death, burial, resurrection is about to happen to them as well. And these are going to be the ones that see Jesus risen after the third day. And they're going to experience, even in baptism, that beautiful picture 
a death, burial, resurrection. It's a denial of self saying, no, I'm not going to go my way. I'm going to go God's way. And then there's the going under. But then there's the coming up and the, and the recognition that, yes, there's a death to the old, but there's a whole new life to come. And what Jesus begins on the moment that you trust Jesus Christ, what he begins in your soul, he, for the rest of your life, begins to build out. And so I should expect, as a follower of Jesus, character change. I should expect, as a follower of Jesus, conviction from time to time when my life is out of line with God's agenda. I should expect transformation, that God would come by the power of his Holy Spirit and change me from the inside out. All of those things are a part of what Jesus says is following him. It's death, it's burial, it's resurrection. And Jesus invites all of this to the journey. Now let's pull this together. What I just shared is the basic elements of the gospel, the good news. For some of us, that's old. Like you've heard that time and time again. For others, that's new. Where are we in the story? Let me just ask you tonight. Let's tie it together. The blind man at the beginning. Where are you? Right now, can you say with confidence, when Jesus asked the question, who do you say that I am? And thinking of yourself in terms of that blind man, where would you find yourself right now? Is it, is it still dark and, and you haven't figured it out? Do you have your questions? You're in the best place. There's no greater place in a, than, than this, than the church, to, to ask your questions. If you have questions about what it means to follow God and about the scriptures, don't be afraid to ask them. The blind man cannot see, but in the presence of Jesus, he does find real answers. His life is changed, and the same could be said for you. If you've got questions, ask me. Ask one of our elders. Ask one of our leaders. Ask one of those followers of Jesus that maybe invited you. Get your real questions answered. The goal is that we move from blindness to sight. And so tonight, if you've got questions, you're in a great place. I would encourage you, don't stop there. Don't stop with questions. Get answers and then move on to sight. Maybe tonight, you're like the guy who's been touched by Jesus once. You know a bit and he sees men, but they're like trees. It hasn't all become clear. You haven't put all the pieces together. And maybe you've been coming for a while, and maybe this whole Jesus is now becoming clearer, and you realize, you heard tonight, that God is not upset with you, but he absolutely loves you. For God loved the world so much, he sent his son. Jesus demonstrated compassion and care. He never sends someone away who's seeking an audience with him. Never! Who does he send away? The religious people who are trying to stab him in the back, but the honest seekers, Jesus never sends away. So maybe you're like the guy, you've, you've, you've been coming, you know a bit, you're beginning, your eyes are beginning to be open. Tonight, I would just pray for you that you'll have like that Peter experience, that you're, you'll get that second touch, so to speak, when Jesus touches him the second time, he can fully see. I pray tonight for you that you would walk away knowing that you know 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 that your sins have been forgiven. Knowing that you know that you know that you know that Jesus has accepted you into his family. That he's brought you into this thing called the body of Christ. That, that he's giving you his Holy Spirit. Knowing with confidence that when you walk out, God is in and with you by the power and presence of his Spirit and that there's nothing impossible for God, therefore there's nothing impossible for you. And you can face every challenge and every circumstance with the confidence that God is for you and not against you. And that happens when Jesus touches you.
I cannot make that happen for you. Boy, I wish I could poof you into the kingdom of God. I can't do it. I can't lay hands on you and give it to you. I can't convince you and articulate and give you every answer to every question. But I can simply remind you that Jesus is alive and he has already done everything to rescue you and now he's inviting you to life. And if you have your eyes open, so to speak, tonight, you can have not just the one-time experience, but now the total transformation. You can become a follower of Jesus. And that will involve leaving the old behind, recognizing my sin, my past, that's gone. I'm now a new person, and I'm going to go in the Jesus direction. Do you get it all in one shot? No way. And that's why I love how Mark colors the stories together. The blind man doesn't get the healing at once, and the disciples don't get who Jesus is at once, because none of us do we get it at once. We're on a journey. We're all walking through this. Some are still blinded to who Jesus is. Some are semi-clear. And then others get it like Peter for that moment. Yeah, you're the Messiah. And, and tonight, I think that's a challenge for the rest of us because after he gets the, I'm the Messiah, uh, he, he's the Messiah, he's confused about the implications. What does that say to us who are already following Jesus? I think that's a good reminder that there's always something to learn. Peter, even though he gets this revelation one day, he doesn't have it all figured out. And I would encourage you, follower of Jesus, lover of God, never become content. I don't want to become content in what I know of Jesus. Never become so comfortable with what you know of the scriptures. There's always more to know and there's always more to grow and there's always more transformation that can happen within. And that's the invitation of Jesus tonight. He says, some, you're going to be ashamed of me. Those of you who are ashamed of me, you're going to miss out on the power of God. You're going to miss out on the resurrection. But some of you here standing, you're not even going to taste death before you see the kingdom of God come with power. Following Jesus is about death, yes. Death to yourself. But it's about life. It's about resurrection. And when we choose to follow Jesus, Life and resurrection begins now, but it also leads to the hope of the future. And let me tell you, following Jesus may not be easy. I, have, I know many families here in this church who are going through great struggles right now, great trials, uh, trials that I think, wow, if I were in their place, I don't know if I could endure. But you know what I'm finding? I'm finding that the hope, the confidence that's in Jesus, it's not just good for a Sunday, but it's great for Monday through Saturday. And I am watching Many of you live out your faith through very difficult circumstances in light of the resurrection. You see, because Jesus is risen, that your pain is temporary. And that God is not only bringing you through it, he may relieve you now fully, he, he may not fully relieve you now, it may be in the life to come. But the end of the story for the follower of Jesus is never death, it is always resurrection. And that's why I love how Jesus ends this conversation. Some of you standing here, you're going to see the kingdom of God come in power. And that's a great promise for you. If you're following Jesus and life is hard, and this is a season where a hard life becomes amplified, it's everyone's highlighting Christmas and glib and presence and joy. And this is where the, those who are suffering with depression get more depressed. And those who are in pain and struggling feel it in an amplified way. Let me remind you, if you're following Jesus, there's hope for you, this resurrection. There's resurrection. And it's not just future. It's now and later. So where are you in the story? Are you still blinded and not ready? Are you 
Are you close and now wanting to step over the line, so to speak? Or are you that follower of Jesus and willing to take the challenge to grow deeper in denial, taking the cross and following him? Tonight, all of us, let's respond. Every single one of us. Um, the band's gonna come and we're gonna, we're gonna worship. And before we sing, I want you to think about two questions that I think can help us apply what we've heard tonight. Uh, first question is this. What part of you needs to die? Second, what part of you needs to come alive? Um, is there a sin, a habit, an issue, a struggle that you need to lay back at Jesus, so to speak, and say, Jesus, I've chosen to follow you, but uh, I keep picking up this part of the old life, and I keep hanging out with these old habits, and I keep falling into these old traps, but Jesus, today I, I want to recommit my, myself to following you. Yeah, I'm already loved by you. I'm already forgiven by you. But I'm recommitting myself to let go of that. And second part of that, what part of you needs to come alive? Where do you need resurrection? Where do you need to, the risen Jesus to step in? What specific situation requires the presence of Jesus? Tonight, that's the invitation. It's to Jesus. And where Jesus is, there's always life. I'm going to give you a moment and uh, I want you to think about that and, um, in a way that's most appropriate for you to respond. Uh, for me, it's usually in prayer. It's just telling God, okay, you know my heart, you see my thoughts. My gosh, I can't hide from you. But tonight, I want to openly say, Jesus, this is the part of me that just needs your, a touch of your life. It needs to come alive. This part of me seems like it's dying, but Jesus, will you come and refuel it, reignite it? Or maybe it's letting go of something. Jesus, I confess this thing to you. What, what is it for you? We saw what happened to the disciples, but now it's, it's about you. Tonight, I pray that you would respond with a heart that's bent towards Jesus. I'd love to pray for you. We're gonna wait just a moment and give you a chance to respond to the Savior. Lord, thank you for inviting me to your family and to be a part of this great family here on the Sunset Corridor. Tonight, Lord Jesus, we... We confess you are the Messiah. We see it now. Thank you for revealing that to Peter. Thank you for revealing that to our own soul. Jesus, I just pray that you'll look on your people with love tonight and that you'll hear their hearts cry and that you'll answer their prayer and that you'll remove those stumbling blocks that are keeping them from following you with fullness of joy and You'll infuse them with the life of the Holy Spirit and power where they need to experience resurrection. Jesus, you're the Savior, the Messiah, the King. Tonight we come to you in your name.